This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field, and his pass is going to be caught for the touchdown. Gather round, folks. It's time to talk about the big uglies up front for the Miami Dolphins. Welcome to Finna to Win, and I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. And today on the show, we're going to talk about fixing the Miami Dolphins offensive line, which is, let's just call it an unenviable proposition because the Dolphins themselves have been unable to do it for the better part of the last decade or so. But... Uh, the good news is we're starting from scratch. Uh, there should be no one that is considered untouchable on the Miami Dolphins 2019 offensive line. I would bring back Michael Dieter and give him an opportunity to start, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, I think that the natural progression of things here is to talk about the current players in the Dolphins offensive line, identify who needs to stay, who needs to go, who's more likely to stay, who's more likely to go, and then talk about, specifically in the NFL draft, you know, we'll, we'll bring some names as far as free agents that are available. And if they hit the open market, would make sense for the Dolphins to make. There's a handful of them, about three or four, that I think make a lot of sense. But uh, this is going to be predominantly an NFL draft-focused show uh, because I think that's where the Dolphins are going to make a lot of their headway uh, along the offensive line. So, Miami Dolphins starting offensive line right now is Julian Davenport at left tackle, who came over in the Laramie Tunsil deal with the Houston Texans at the beginning of the season. 2019 third-round pick Michael Dieter from Wisconsin at left guard. Daniel Kilgore, center, who Miami traded a late-round pick to San Francisco for a few years back. Shaq Calhoun, an undrafted free agent out of Mississippi State at right Guard and right tackle is Jesse Davis, who the team gave a modest contract extension to uh, during the course of this season. Uh, Davenport was not good in Houston. He has not been particularly good in the reps that he's had here. I think he's a player that is a 53-man rosterable offensive tackle. Ideally, he's probably your swing tackle, your third offensive tackle on your roster. He should not be starting. Let's call a spade a spade there. Uh, Michael Dieter is a difficult case. I see a lot of people get on Michael Dieter and talk about how Dieter has not played up to expectations and they're worried that he's a bust. First of all, if you are going to call somebody a bust after 15 games, shame on you. Don't do it. Especially in the case of a guy like Michael Dieter because he's a rookie offensive lineman playing on the interior. 
And to his left, he's had a revolving door of offensive tackles throughout the course of the entire season. He's been able to establish no rapport with an offensive tackle to his left. And to his right, he's got Daniel Kilborn, who is a good leader. Uh, he's a good lead-by-example kind of guy. But Daniel Kilgore, if he is the Dolphins' starting center in week one of next year, the Dolphins will have failed in their efforts to address the offensive line. Kilgore cannot be back as the starting center next year. He's making modest money. I think he's making like between three and a half and four and a half million dollars as his salary for next season. Uh, the Dolphins could part ways with him if they wanted to for no dead cap whatsoever. I'm not saying you have to get rid of him. Now, Dieter has some positional flexibility, has played tackle, guard, and center throughout the course of his career at Wisconsin. Uh, but Dieter is a guy who needs more stability, and he needs guys who aren't going to have soft anchors and give up a bunch of penetration. Dieter has had his fair share of uh, missed assignments and responsibilities, and that's part of what is to be expected with being a rookie in the NFL as an offensive lineman, especially an interior offensive lineman where everybody's got heavy hands, uh, you're not playing guys that are going to be selling insurance next year. And uh, it, it's so fast inside at the NFL level. Everything happens in the blink of an eye. And you can see he's, he's coming into his own, but he's still moving slow because there's so much mental processing going on. Uh, but he's being leaned upon to be the best player in that trio. And ideally, realistically, he should be the weakest link in that chain of three. And they're at, the Dolphins are asking him to be the strongest one. And that, that is, uh, th there's only so much Miami can do, right? So I don't want to give the Dolphins a hard time and sit here and dog the Dolphins because they put Dieter in a bad situation. They made the best of what they had available to them. But you cannot deny that's not a good situation for a rookie offensive lineman to be. So I would be very, very receptive. I liked Michael Dieter coming out. You know, my my full-time job, I, I work for the Draft Network. I study college players coming in the professional level uh, through the NFL draft process. Dieter was a player who was a top 50 player for me. Uh, positional value, uh, maybe some of the technique concerns that we're seeing manifest early on in Dieter's career being contributing factors as to why he fell to the third round. But I like this pick a lot when the Dolphins made it, and I think it made sense. And I think long-term, he's going to be fine. I think long-term, he will be a starter on the Dolphins' offensive line, but they need to upgrade the spots around him so that he doesn't have to be the standout player. Which takes us to uh, right guard with Shaq Calhoun, uh, who you don't need to go any further than, than to go back and watch the New York Giants game uh, to see what Shaq Calhoun at this point is bringing to the table for the Dolphins. Uh, it's frustrating. You think Michael Dieter's moving slow? Mentally, Shaq Calhoun's moving slow. Mentally, even more so. Now, for all the, the heat we want to give Michael Dieter, Calhoun is an undrafted rookie. Um, he, he's really struggling to keep his head above water. And then Jesse Davis is probably the second most attractive potential returning player. Davis, to me, I, I'm not as crazy as the offensive staff seems to be about Jesse Davis. Uh, Dolphins coaching staff seems to really like him. Uh, I think he might make more sense back at guard. Uh, they had teased kind of playing him at guard, playing him at tackle, playing him at left tackle. Now he's back to right tackle. So he's, I mean, he's had a lot of change in his own right so far this season uh, with one game left to play. And I think if you told me the, two, the Dolphins were going to bring back two starters from the offensive line that's playing right now 
I would pick Dieter and Davis, and I would prioritize potentially two offensive tackles and a center. And I think Michael Dieter and Jesse Davis, if those are your guards going into week one next year, that's a better guard combo than the Dolphins have had in five years or so. Uh, It's not great that they're not stalwart players, at least not at this point, but they're solid players. And if you continue to address the depth behind those guys, and Dieter's got some positional flexibility for if center gets hurt and you play, play center in a pinch if you need him to, I think Miami would set themselves up for success. But I think at a minimum... The Dolphins need three offensive linemen to be added to the mix. Uh, and with that in mind, we're going to transition into who are some of those offensive linemen. Uh, a lot of the top names associated uh, with the offensive tackle class specifically, because in, in my hypothetical, I'm receptive to Davis starting back at right guard. Uh, you hear a lot about Andrew Thomas from Georgia, uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, uh, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, those players are all juniors. Those are the general consensus top three offensive tackles in this year's class. Out of those three, I like Werfs and Wills a little bit more than Andrew Thomas. Uh, Andrew Thomas would make sense for Miami specifically. Uh, A lot of analysts, including our staff at the Draft Network, have Thomas right now ranked somewhere in the top 10, top 5. That's a little rich for me personally. Um, I would be all on board with Andrew Thomas if he was there at the Steelers pick. But if you're going to tell me the Dolphins in a hypothetical world in which they're not picking a quarterback with their first selection, which provided they either lose to the Patriots or they beat the Patriots and the Jaguars win or they beat the Patriots and the Jaguars lose, but the Jets beat the Bills, Dolphins will stay picking at five. Uh, If you told me the Dolphins were going to take a tackle at five, Uh, I'd be more receptive to the idea of Jedrick Wills, who plays right tackle at Alabama, or Tristan Wirfs, who plays right tackle at Iowa, than I would be Andrew Thomas, left tackle from Georgia. Why is that? Um, Both those players are a little more smooth. Uh, They're they're not as rigid. And I don't want to call Andrew Thomas stiff or lethargic, but he is a little bit more heavy-footed. And uh, the other two guys that bring just as much power uh, in the run game, Thomas is a little bit more of a straight uh, gap power style offensive tackle where he, he really road grades defenders off the line of scrimmage and gets a lot of push forward. But if you asked him to take deeper pass sets, so if, you, if you're a team that's looking to work the intermediate areas of the field on third and 12, hypothetically, and you need that offensive tackle to be able to cover significant ground because your quarterback's going to be taking a seven-step drop or a five-step drop. Uh, those, those level drops for quarterbacks is enough depth where pass rushers, if they have wide angles, can really stress offensive tackles off the edge and take more direct lines and paths to the top of the quarterback's drop. Uh, Thomas is not as effective in those situations than what you see from Wirfs and what you see from Wills. Wills is the best pure pass protector of the trio. Uh, Wirfs is, I think, is the best blend of the two, and Thomas is the best in the run game and the least appealing, in my opinion, uh, in the pass game because he's he's much better in, in 
quick sets and three-step passing game where the ball's coming out a lot faster because he's got plenty of strength in his hands. He's got plenty of length. But if you ask him to take a lot of distance in his pass sets, uh, he's not as sufficient or as appealing, in my opinion, in those areas because he's a little bit tighter in the hips and his feet are a little heavier. Uh, all three of these guys listed at six foot five, somewhere between two, 320 and 325 pounds. So big boys. Uh, but the problem here is they're all juniors. And Tristan Wirfs, there seems to be some rumblings that he may be interested in going back to school. Uh, Jedrick Wills is going to be a top 10 pick. Andrew Thomas is probably going to be a top 10, top 15 pick with all the, all the teams that need offensive tackles. So the Dolphins are looking at a one-and-done scenario with those two top players. And once you get past that point, you start kind of asking yourself the question, okay, who else is available? Uh, another junior from Alabama, Alex Leatherwood. Uh, who has some run as a potential first-round player. I think he's an end of, end of first round, early second round is where I like him best, uh, not necessarily in that Steelers pick range. Uh, Lucas Nyang from TCU, who's another right tackle. Austin Jackson uh, from USC, who's going to remind some people of Andre Dillard, who went to the Philadelphia Eagles in the 20s uh, in this past 2019 NFL draft. And the sleeper name for me is Mikai Becton uh, from Louisville. This dude... You ready? This dude is 6'7", 369 pounds. And he moves really well for that size. And you think about what the New England Patriots were able to do uh, with Trent Brown when they brought Trent Brown over from San Francisco before letting him go uh, to Oakland and, and cashing in a big uh, compensatory pick contract for the Patriots. They'll have a third-round pick in next year's draft for losing Trent Brown, who they traded like a seventh-round pick for from San Francisco. So nice exploitation of the comp pick process for the Patriots, uh, which they always seem to do. Uh, Mikai Becton, uh, I, I just studied him as of late. I have first-round grade on this guy. Uh, if you told me this guy was there with the Steelers pick at 19 or the Texans pick, which will be somewhere between 21 and hopefully 26, somewhere in that range, power at the point of attack is phenomenal. He plays left tackle. Obviously, with that size, he's got a great deal of length. He's less clunky than Andrew Thomas. He brings comparable power at the point of attack. Now, he's not as consistent with some of his technique work. But that's why, when I look at NFL draft prospects for the Miami Dolphins, I think there's a lot more on the table here than what we would have initially anticipated because this coaching staff has proven to be competent already after just one year, uh, with their ability to develop talent. And that is a huge deal uh, for the Dolphins because being able to develop talent means you can take guys that are a little bit more raw. And one of the big, big criticisms around Chris Greer is the fact that, well, you know, he hits a lot of singles and doubles and his best picks in the draft were kind of guys that were just layups, whether it was uh, Minka Fitzpatrick falling to him at, at 11 or – uh, Laramie Tunsil falling to him at 13 because of the pre-draft incident that he had. Like Those players were top five players and should have been taken. Well, they weren't taken, first of all. And they were home run picks because you consider what both has done to this point in their NFL careers. Uh, um, nevertheless, I would say Tunsil's best year in the NFL was 2018. I thought he had a better year last year than he did this year. He gave up less sacks. He had less penalties. Didn't get the Pro Bowl recognition. But then when you get traded to the Houston Texans, you play on a team that's a little bit more prominent in the playoff race. 
you get more visibility. And then obviously the trade and what Houston gave for him, I think it gave him a, a very big platform of prominence and awareness for fans. Uh, but I actually thought Tunsil was better in 2018 than he was in 2019. And obviously Minka Fitzpatrick going to Pittsburgh and at one point leading the NFL in, in interceptions and the, the pick sixes that he brought to the table. Like he, he did a lot of nice things this year. There's no questioning that. And uh, the Dolphins are poised at this point with that Steelers pick to uh, they need a Titans win or a Steelers loss or a Titans loss, Steelers win, Raiders win. And I think then Oakland gets the sixth seed. Uh, they, they just need one of those three scenarios to happen in which Pittsburgh doesn't get the sixth seed. And they'll have, two, they'll have gotten a, a second top 20 overall pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, which player that did not want to be here. And you, you hear the Dolphins talk about, uh, I believe it was either Dave Hyde or Barry Jackson did a spotlight on asking players in the review, like, what is a Miami Dolphin going forward? And they talked a lot about team first and work ethic. And, you know, Minka, from all accounts, was that kind of player when he left Alabama. But for whatever reason, he decided he did not like whether it whether it really truly was what he said his complaint was, which was Brian Flores using him in multiple positions and he didn't like it, or whether it was Minka seeing the writing on the wall for what the 2019 season was going to be and said, to hell with this, I don't want to be here and be a part of this. Whatever it was, Minka didn't want to be there. He was traded, and the Dolphins are looking at the prospect of investing in a player at 11, getting a year's worth of play out of him, and then flipping him for a top 20 pick that they can then use potentially to replace Larry McDunzel because I think that's the sweet spot. Uh, not the first pick, but the potential second pick. So getting back on track here, uh, Mikai Becton is a name to watch. Um, for guys that are in my second tier of offensive tackles, uh, my first tier is probably Wir- Wills or Wirfs flip a coin. Thomas is third. Tier two is... Mikai Becton's going to be the next guy on the list. And I think you see what Jawan Taylor was in the 2019 NFL draft is a really big body with special athleticism that took off in his last year because he changed his body weight. And things clicked for him. That's a little bit of the same thing with Mikai Becton, but Jawan Taylor slid to the Jaguars in the early second round because there were some medical concerns. Becton doesn't have medical concerns. So this is going to be a prime opportunity in this, the same range where we saw Dillard go in 2019. Titus Howard to the Houston Texans uh, was the pick afterwards in the early 20s. The Dolphins are going to have at least one pick, if not two. Uh, so that would be the area that I would circle, depending on unless there's an elite pass rusher or corner on the board for the Dolphins. I think that's the spot that makes a lot of sense. If we were to shift our eyes inside, because I don't think the Dolphins can really afford to put things off until late day two anymore. It's like day one, day, early day two, first and second round, that's where you have to try and address and invest in this offensive line, not just check the box and say, oh, well, we got a guy to play there. Because that's what the Dolphins of the past couple of years have done. Oh, our guards stink. We're going to go out and, and sign somebody, and he, he plays three games and gets hurt, or he plays three quarters and gets hurt and misses the rest of the year, and it's a guy that was probably over the hill anyway. Let's not check the box and just say, yeah, we got that taken care of because we brought a guy in. Let's invest in it. So I think the Dolphins' offensive tackle, we got to get one early. 
Mikai Becton is the guy who makes sense to me, who I think is a realistic chance for the Dolphins to acquire. And there's some parallels there between what the Patriots staff did with Trent Brown and what versus this Dolphins staff could do with a player of similar skill set. Inside, now there's three names at the top for me on the offensive line. Um, if you are dra- a draft fan, a draft Nick, these names will not surprise you, but I think the Dolphins need to get one of these guys. Uh, Tyler Beattis, who's a redshirt junior from Wisconsin. Uh, in 2018, last season, he played next to Michael Dieter at Wisconsin. And Jonathan Taylor rushed for like 2,200 rushing yards. Really, really effective in the ground game. Uh, he's 6'3", 321, so he's another power-type player. Uh, I think he would make a lot of sense for Miami. What is his range and value? That Texans pick or the Dolphins' early second-round pick? That's where that makes sense. Same thing as far as range can be said for Creed Humphrey, who's six foot five, three sixteen, uh, center from Oklahoma. I think Beatus actually has a little bit of positional flexibility. Could play some guard if you wanted to. So if you wanted to to play him at, at right guard and you brought somebody in via free agency to play center, that's feasible. And then you could play Davis at, at right tackle. And then you just need a left tackle, which you know if if I get my way, we're taking Mikai back then at some point. Uh, Creed Humphrey is a pure center. He does not have that same positional flexibility that you get with a guy like Tyler Beattis, and that's fine. Uh, I think that that might water down his value a little bit. Uh, Garrett Bradbury from NC State was the first guy to go in the 2019 NFL draft, and he went to Minnesota in the late teens. Uh, the problem with Bradbury is Bradbury was very light in the trunk. He was an outside zone style center, and he's getting his butt kicked in pass protection this year. You will not have that problem with Creed Humphrey at 315-316 in weight. He is very much a wrestling-style player as far as leverage and tight quarters and ability to manipulate bodies and turn them where he wants them. And He's really, really good. I think if we we were talking pure centers, he's probably number one on my list. And then a guy who is a little bit more under the radar, who for Miami would make sense with that early second round pick or potentially as a trade-up target in the middle of the second round from the Saints pick, which Miami will have somewhere in the late 50s, early 60s, is Nick Harris from Washington. He's a senior. He's 6'1", 302. He's got natural leverage because he's a super squatty build. But you watch Nick Harris play, and he is really mobile. He doesn't have the same anchor issues that you see with Garrett Bradbury or, and you saw with Garrett Bradbury at NC State, but he's a more similar style player where the other two guys, Beatis and Humphrey, are a little bit more uh, power-oriented. They like to really bang at the point of attack. Harris is a little bit more of a finesse guy. He's another true center, uh, but he's really, really fun. So between the names that we just mentioned, Nick Harris, Creed Humphrey, Tyler Beattis on the inside, and then names like Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Jedrick Wills, Lucas Nyang, Mekhee Becton, Mikai Becton, Alex Leatherwood. Miami should, should come away with two of these guys. And if I were building a plan for the Dolphins, my wish list would include one first-round offensive lineman, and that early second round pick to probably be an offensive lineman. Because if Miami's going to take a quarterback with their first pick, and it's to a Tunga Viola, you 
cannot even think about putting them on the football field until this offensive line is fixed. Not you think is fixed. It's actually fixed. And how's the, what is the best way to do that for Miami? It is let's invest early. Let's redshirt Tua. We've got Ryan Fitzpatrick under contract for another season. We think we've got our quarterback. Let's go all in. Build up the offensive lineman around him. Some of the names as far as free agents that would make sense for the Dolphins. Uh, the first name that comes to mind is Brandon Scherf of the Washington Redskins. He is a power player, former top 10 overall pick, expiring contract this year. Uh, he's going to cost a pretty penny, though. He's probably going to be a player that requires an investment somewhere around 12 plus million average per year on his contract, which is a hard pill to swallow. SpotTrack.com uh, currently projects his value at $12.5 million per year. He's 28 years old, former top 10 pick. He's a right guard. Uh, he would be an immediate upgrade at right guard and I think would really help to fortify uh, the middle of that offensive line. Andrus Pete is another name that stands out to me. Uh, Andrus Pete played tackle at Stanford, goes to New Orleans and plays guard. He's 26 years old. Uh, his salary this year is $2.8 million. He's going to cost more than that. No worries. He's probably going to cost three times that. Uh, probably 8 to $10 million per year, but he's a quality starter, and he's got some flexibility to go back to tackle if you need him to. I think that multiplicity would really help the Dolphins as they're looking to, to flesh out this offensive line and help have some sustainability where they can exchange players. Uh, another one that makes a lot of sense to me if we're going to continue the New England Patriots pipeline that we've seen uh, take place thus far is Joe Thune, uh, who's a guard from NC State playing for the Patriots. And he's going to be the ch probably the cheapest of the bunch. I can't imagine that Thune's going to command 8 to $10 million per. He's 27 years old. I think he makes a lot of sense. So the Dolphins will have, I think, more options on the interior than they will on the outside, uh, some of the, the top offensive tackle names are like Andrew Whitworth, who's 38, Anthony Costanza, who's 32. Those guys are averaging like $12 million a year. That's not financially speaking moves that make a lot of sense for the Dolphins. I can't sign off on that. Calvin Beecham's the next guy up as far as average salary. Hit set the free agency. Brian Bulaga, these guys are still over the age of 30. Greg Robinson, 27, but he's a career underachiever. I'm not particularly interested. Uh, the first offensive tackle down the list as far as upcoming free agents uh, under the age of 30 is Darrell Williams from Carolina, who has struggled greatly this year. He had a good good, uh, good stretch, but he got hurt in a contract year, came back on a one-year prove-it deal, and uh, has not looked the same. So I think the Dolphins would be better off getting one key starter in free agency, whether it's Scherf or Pete, then going out, getting an early round, first round offensive tackle, and then let's, let's lock in that center in the early second round, really make sure we've got a, a strong support staff for whoever the next franchise quarterback is. That's the kind of the pathway for what we can expect to see the Dolphins go for, to fix the offensive line 
like I said, let's fix it. Let's invest in it, not just address it. That's a big difference. And we need to see the Dolphins do that differently than what they've done in years past. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fin It to Win It. I'll be back again soon to talk about the defensive side of the football and what the Dolphins can do there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.